electronic device that has a Bible on it, that will work as well. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. And here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want you to look at your neighbor and go, At least it put a smile on your face, didn't it? <laughs> okay. Lindsay's over here kissing people, so if you feel led, go ahead and kiss the cheek of the person next to you. If you, if you don't feel led, then don't do it. Okay. All right. Oh, my goodness. It's been a good week. Has it been good for you? Every week's a good week. Depends on what you do with it. Amen. We're going to be in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 today. I want you to get there. Hold that in those Bibles you held up. And we want to talk today, as we continue in our series on spiritual disciplines, uh, we want to talk today about worship. Michael Jackson, how many of you know that name? Talent. Whoa. Creative. Unbelievable. To this day, you hear the tunes that he made popular, and your body just, you just start, amen? I do. They're great. But when he passed away, there was a lot of fanfare, wasn't there? I mean, there was just wall-to-wall -wall coverage of Michael Jackson's death, and how, and when, and the funeral, and you'd have thought, if you didn't know him very well, that... He must have been some hero here in, our Amer in America and in our culture. And yet, we have young men and women in harm's way in Afghanistan and Iraq and other parts of the world that really are truly our heroes, American heroes, that often go unnoticed. We live in an upside-down world where attention and adoration and hero worship seems to go to the pop stars and not the military heroes. You ever wondered why that is? Well, I believe it's because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen state. We are sinful creatures. And the natural tendency of humanity is... To place value on those things which have no value and to devalue those things which are of real worth. It really started in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve gave more power and authority to Satan's words than God's words. That's where it started. And we've followed right along over the years. But nowhere is it truer then the aspect of worship, as we're going to discover today. People around us, they pursue money, fame, pleasure, all that are temporary at best. And all the while, they neglect their souls. They neglect their relationship with God, which is an eternal issue. Many times, it's not just the people around us. <laughs> we're guilty ourselves. 
So Jesus asked the question, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will, it give him, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? But to us, the gospel of Jesus has come. It transforms us, enables us to know God. It rescues us from the darkness of sin and opens our spiritual eyes. It enables us to see things from a true perspective, to see things that we don't see before, things as they really are. It gives us the ability to perceive the fallacy of this world's system. And to value those things which have real worth. And that's not to say that we always avail ourselves of that ability. But once we've come into spiritual life, there is no longer any excuse for worshiping that which does not deserve our praise. In the New Testament, worship speaks to how we act, how we live our lives, especially in the presence of God. True worship is restricted to those who have come into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's really important. It's impossible to cover every aspect of worship during our time this morning, so we're going to focus on just a few things in Revelation 4 and 5. We're not going to read both chapters. I'm going to just pull pieces out of there. But I want you to notice three things about worship this morning. First of all, worship is fundamentally theological. It's fundamentally theological. Those who know Him best worship Him most. Those who know Him best worship Him most. And it's impossible to worship God if you don't know who He is. I'll, I'll wait. Out of way, out of way. And the more we know Him, the more we embrace Him, the more we're able to worship Him. It's been said that you can worship God anywhere. How many of you believe that? Sure you can. You can worship Him anywhere. You can be in a boat on the lake. You can be in a tree stand in the winter. A tree stand not big enough for your bottom, waiting for Bambi to run by. Yeah, you can worship Him there. Doesn't make any sense to me why you'd want to, but you can. And, you know, you can worship Him anywhere. Amen? But I guess the bigger question is, do we? In this scene that unfolds in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see the elders and the angels who actually know God better than we do, maybe better than we ever will, they show a depth of their worship. And it's directly tied to their knowledge of who God is. And what it says to you and me is that we want to worship God better than we are now. And if we want to do that, we've got to be preoccupied with knowing God deeper. So many Christians stay stagnant at one level and never go deeper. Have you noticed that? Oh, I have. The longer you stay in a church as a pastor, you see the stagnation. Now, some would say, well, pastor, that's your fault because you're not teaching us. Well, the last time I looked, I, I opened the Word of God more than once a week and throw it out there to you. 
But what I can't do is make you come and eat from the food of life and the bread of life. I can't make you do that. But we're always going to give you some food to eat. How deep do you want to go? How deep do we want to go? Because it begins with the study of God's Word and developing that personal relationship with God. If you've been married more than one year, let me see your hands. All right. That is awesome. If you've been married more than 10 years, if you were at one time married more than 25 years, if you were married more than 34 years, I have to stop there because that's how long I've been married. (laughs) Now, what happens in those relationships if we don't talk to each other? (laughs) I don't raise my hand much anymore. (laughs) Amen. See? If we don't talk to each other, if we don't deepen that relationship with each other, why do you want to hang around? Cindy caught me off guard last night. Walked into the bedroom. She goes, I just want you to know that I love you. I thought, what did I do? She goes, oh, we just don't tell each other enough. You know, and she was right. So for the next few minutes, we just kept saying, we love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And the dog finally said, oh, and crawled under the bed, you know, it's getting pretty bad, I guess. But we need to tell people, we need to deepen that relationship, don't we? Far too many Christians see worship as a ritual or something we do on Sunday mornings with choirs, guitars, and music, when in reality, worship is about knowing God and responding personally to that knowledge. And for the record, worship is about God. It is not about us. I'll wait for an amen. It is all about Him. That's one of the reasons it's so sad when people get all up in arms about the worship styles that we have. I'll tell you, you can have a pipe organ or a kazoo and still worship God. Because it's not about you or me. It's about Almighty God. Every bit of it. But listen to what the four living creatures say in verse 8 of chapter 4. Several theological statements they make here, but let's start with the first one. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Yeah, I'll stop you right there. What are they saying about God? They're saying that He is holy, set apart, different, perfect, without sin. That's what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. He's different. He's set aside. He's different from fallen man, fallen creation. He is perfect in every way. And then they speak to the rule of God. Look what they say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. The Almighty. They sing their hymn of praise. They recognize the rule of God over all the creation. They have a view of God which sees Him for who He is. The Lord of lords and the King of kings. There is nothing outside of His dominion and no one who will escape His judgment. You've got to remember that the book of Revelation was written during a time of intense persecutions. Christians were actually dying for their faith. If they stood up and said they were a Christian, either arrested or killed. That was happening. We're not quite there yet. May come a time. You going to be ready, Christian? Are you going to be ready? 
part of what we need to remember is about our worship to God is that it's a theological truth that God is almighty and he reigns over all. The difficulties we encounter on earth do not go unnoticed by God. He sees it all. He understands it all. And he's standing, and I love Max Licato's title of his book, The Applause of Heaven. If you've not read that book, it would be a great book to read because it will encourage you because the angels, God, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, they stand in applause to the Christians who stand firm for Jesus Christ. Well, what if they kill me, preacher? <laughs> Hallelujah. Because this world is not my home. I'm some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll Oh, I can't wait. I'm ready to go. These heavenly beings, they speak the truth about God and the rule of God. He is almighty, ruler of nature, ruler of us. But we also notice in that verse that they speak to His eternal nature. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Who was, who is, and who is to come. There has never been a time when He was not. He's always been. He does not change. He is as He was. And He will always be as He is and was. I don't know if that grammatically is correct, but there it is. Our God is eternal. So the emphasis of their worship is on the reality that God is holy, that He rules over the past, over the present, and hallelujah over the future. you got nothing to worry about if you're uh, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. you got nothing to worry about. Not a thing. Lay down at night, go to sleep, suck the paint off the ceiling, whatever you need to do when you're snoring while you're sleeping. <laughs> It's okay. But then look at the last verse of chapter 4. The elders cast their crowns before him. Look what it says. Worthy are you, O Lord, and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Woo! That's a deep theological thought and truth. And the nature of our worship, the elders are telling us, that He alone is Creator. He alone is worthy of our praise and our adoration. You and I are not here by accident. We are not the result of billions of years of evolution and some biological accident that created this primordial goop. You are here by a specific will and design of the Holy Almighty Eternal Creator. He created you. In His image, and He made us for a specific purpose. Amen. Here is someone to whom you can trust your life. Here is someone to whom you can commit your very soul. He's not a lesser God who's affected by the rise and fall of human opinion. He could care less about what we think. Have you noticed that lately? The sun still comes up and goes down whether we tell him it, it won't or not. We can do daylight savings time all day long. Guess what? It's still going to go up and still going to come down. When he gets ready to send rain, it's going to come. 
El Nino or whatever you want to call it, global warming, whatever you want to call it, polar bears swimming in the Arctic. I don't, it don't matter to me. God's in control of this, not us. Amen? Oh, I'll make the environmentalists mad here. Do we need to take care of what God gave us? Oh, absolutely. Have we been abusers of what gave us? Sure. Take a look in the mirror. <laughs> God gave you something beautiful here, didn't he? What have we done to it over the years? Oh, we big, Mac, big Mac'd it to death. Modern-day Christianity, so much of it is superficial and centered on man rather than centered on God. Turn on the television. You'll hear preacher after preacher preaching a gospel that primarily promises temporal things rather than things eternal. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Quit thinking about stuff down here and start thinking about stuff in heaven. If we're going to spend an eternity with God, we ought to be thinking more about what's going on up there than what's going on down here. I'll wait for another one. There you go. These chapters over and over, you will find not only do these creatures worship God, who is, but they also worship Him for what He's done. Look in chapter 5 and verse 9. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus is worthy of our praise and our worship. Not because He is God, but because of what He has done. He shed His blood. He paid a price. Bought us eternity. And theology is not just knowing about the character of God, but it's also about the work of God. True worship praises the nature and the work of God and brings us to a more clear understanding of who it is that we're worshiping. If you want to cultivate the discipline of worship in your life, if you want your worship to be authentic, then you need to preoccupy with yourself with knowing God, with who He is and what He's done. And let me add that this knowledge is not based on how you feel or what somebody else says. It's based on the revelation of God through Scripture. And the more you know Him, the more you will be driven to worship Him. Those who know Him best worship Him most. Worship is theological. Secondly, worship is immensely practical. It involves something we do. Something we say, something we give. It involves action. Worship involves action. Something we should practice. I went and watched the Trojans in a scrimmage against Booker T the other night. There was nothing that these coaches saw that they could improve on with those boys out there they were playing. Not a thing. Not a thing they saw that they could improve on. Those boys played with flawless perfection every play. If I looked at them, they'd both be grinning. I asked Coach Bryant. He's the running back coach. I said, I said well, you're going to take it easy on them today? He said, no. <laughs> that was yesterday. He said, two fumbles. These were the stars that fumbled. 
Well, they get to find out what it means to be a star who fumbles. And Coach Bryant's ugly when it gets that stuff. He's kind of like Reggie White. He used to knock the fire out of people and help them up and say, Jesus loves you. He said, by the way, I'll be right back. <laughs> that's kind of, that's Coach Bryant. That's why we excel. Worship is not about us feeling good. It's about us doing, saying, and being what we should do and say and be. Four things I want you to see in these two small chapters. Not exhaustive in any way, but these four, I think, will really help us as we develop that relationship and learn practical worship. First of all, true worship involves purity. Purity. You've got to be pure. Worship in heaven is perfect because of the absence of sin. As I was reviewing this morning for the message, God grabbed my heart. I play music up here early on Sunday when I come to pray. And there was a certain song that came on that just grabbed my heart and I I, I literally fell to my knees to pray to God because I realized how unworthy I am to stand before you to preach this word. I, I, I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy to stand before you and claim anything about my walk with God. So I only have to call out to God. That's all I have. So I went to the cross and I, played, I, I put some things there, placed them right there. How about you? Maybe you need to do that. See, purity in our life is measured not in absolutes but in degrees. So while we are positionally pure in God's eyes, the condition of our lives is sometimes not always what it should be. The purer our lives the more powerful our worship. The purer our lives, the more powerful our worship. And so when we come to worship God, we should examine ourselves, allow the Holy Spirit of God to examine our hearts to see if there is anything within us which would keep us from being able to worship. In fact, Jesus said, if you've got a problem with your brother, don't bring your offerings. Don't come to the table. Get it straightened out, then come. Oh, we don't spend any time doing that. We don't spend any time doing that. We just cavalierly just take the communion when it comes by. Well, it's you. I got to pass it on down. I don't wonder about what you're It's just cavalier. Why? Because we do it all the time. Well, well, maybe we shouldn't do it all the time. Well, it doesn't matter about the frequency. It matters about the condition of your heart while you're taking. <laughs> do you have something against your brother? Do you have a sin that you've had hidden in your life for so long you just don't believe God can ever take care of that sin? I'm telling you, at Calvary, He took care of it all. He reached back to creation and forward to eternity and pulled all the sins that have happened and ever will happen upon Himself at Calvary. And He took care of it right there. Yours included. Amen? So it don't matter what it is. You stand up and shout at the devil, I know your future, brother. <laughs> it ain't good. I know my future, and it is bright and shiny, and I'm ready to go. Satan said, well, I'm going to kill you right now. How? Shoot her down, boy. Here we go. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if the devil said in front of me, he said, I'm going to kill you today. You can start singing, amazing grace, how sweet 
You can sing, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through my trip. <laughs> right? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your life right now. Born once to die twice or born twice to die once. You decide. You decide. The purer our lives, the more powerful our worship. Don't bother going through the motions because it won't be real. I'm afraid we have so many people in our church at River Oaks who just like to go through the motions. Uh-oh, stepping on toes now. Gone for preaching to meddling. <laughs> I'm good at that. See, I've been with you a long time. I know some of you more than you, better than you know yourself. Remember Sue used to, Sue Watson used to tell me all the time, James, if he ever starts talking, he knows too much, we'll have to kill him. That was our favorite story together. Secondly, true worship involves purity, but it also involves humility. Chapter 4, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 8. Chapter 5, verse 14. The elders are seen falling down and worshiping. They are unworthy. And the elders are sitting on thrones around the throne of God. And yet they can't sit anymore. They have to fall before Him. Ooh. Ooh. These 24 elders, our peers, they give up their throne. They give, they're given golden crowns, crowns signifying the reward for lives well lived and races well, well run. And yet, what do they do? They fall down before Almighty God. One of two principal words in the Bible are translated worship, and they literally mean to lay prostrate before the Lord, to fall down before the Lord. Have you ever laid on the floor, prostrate, face to the floor, crying out to God? Well, I'm telling you, from that position, you gain a better perspective. Somewhere along the way, we've lost that sense of awe. That accompanies true worship. We think that if a room is in a certain way, if it's decorated in a certain way, that somehow that's going to entail better worship. Yeah. Because it's not about the room. I've seen worship happening in the lion's den. <laughs> I've seen worship happening and red worshiping happening in a fiery furnace. I've seen worship happening from a cross. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble until you come to the point where you can abandon all hope in yourself, see yourself for what you really are without Christ, you'll never experience true worship. Worship involves purity and humility and then also involves, thirdly, surrender. In chapter 4 and verse 10, look what they did. They cast their crowns before the throne. Worship involves sacrifice, and that's true, but surrender involves sacrifice. If somebody comes up with a gun and says, you're under arrest. What do you do? Throw your hands up. Surrender. 
Holy Spirit comes and pricks your heart, what should you do? Argue with him? <laughs> That's what we do. Well, you just don't understand what I'm going through. Worship involves absolute surrender. These crowns were rewards. And they were given these crowns based on their faithfulness. But notice, instead of holding on to those crowns and remaining on their thrones, they abandoned the throne, they cast the crown uh, before His throne, and they laid prostrate before God. You can't come to worship with a stingy heart. You can't truly worship God unless you are willing to surrender everything you are and everything you have to Him. One of the reasons so many people never experience authentic worship is because they insist on holding back, keeping things from God which totally belong to Him. And I'm not talking about just material possessions. I'm talking about surrendering agendas, your future, your hopes, your reputation. It means trusting Him with your children, with your business, and with your time. Somebody in Sunday school mentioned that they passed by one of the uh, Little League uh, practice fields, and there was a Little League football team out there practicing on Sunday morning. I don't know about you, but that kid doesn't need to practice on Sunday morning. He needs to be in church practicing holiness and righteousness. That will give him a whole lot further than that football program will be. The chances are that he's going to sign a multi-million dollar pro uh, contract and, and make billions and billions of dollars. It's slim to none. Amazing. Rodney Klein's the best preacher that's ever been through Oklahoma, but he didn't get to sign a multi million dollar pro, uh, contract. But he played against, he coached against two kids that just did $4 million and $5 million just to throw a baseball. What's up with that, What's up with that picture? And when we're having to fire teachers because we ain't got enough money, can't, can't renew their contracts because we ain't got enough money. Well, so, there's something wrong with that picture, isn't there? Boy, fourthly, not only surrender, not only purity and surrender, but it also involves praise. Revelation 19, verses 4 and 5 says, And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne, and saying, Amen and Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, you who fear Him, the small and the great. That old hymn, first stanza of that old hymn. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Sing, O earth, His wonderful love proclaim. Hail Him, hail Him, highest archangels in glory. Strength and honor give to His holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard His children in His arms. He carries them all day long. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. You can't sing that song without smiling a little bit, can you? This guy like this. When Phyllis starts doing the, uh, what I call the Pentecostal fingers on that keyboard over there, you just, you just got you just got to start doing this. I know you do. I watch you. You're sitting out there going, mm. some of you close your eyes. My granddaughter and I love to do that while we're in a restaurant. There'll be a song come on, and boy, we'll start. We start dancing. She gets her eyes closed just as pure as it can be, man. And I love doing it, and Cindy's going, ah, great. I just love it. I don't care. What's somebody going to do, throw me out? <laughs> I'd like to see him pick me up and throw me out. That'd be awesome. Oh, man. Chapter 5 and verse 9. They're singing a new song, it says. Singing a new song. 
Praise involves declaring the wonders and excellence of our God. And not just in the church building where everybody agrees. True worship happens outside this building. Outside in your everyday walk. Outside in everyday encounters with people that you see. That's where true worship is. Praise is a lifestyle, not an event. Worship is theological, it's practical. And thirdly, it is ultimately personal. Personal. It's not just something we do. It's who we are and how we live. Worship involves our everyday lives. Worship, especially in the sense of personal discipleship, is something each of us must do as individuals. Chapter 5 and verse 12. Listen to what the elders and the creatures say. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Why do you think they said that He is worthy to receive power? Does He not already possess all the power He needs? I mean, He's God. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. So why would they give power to Him? It has to do with the power of our lives. We have no power. Only His power in us do we have. They're saying worthy is the Lamb of all the power of our lives. We give power to Him. We're, and when we do that, we're saying that with all the power of our lives, with everything that we are, we're going to work to give Him honor and glory and blessing because He deserves it. That's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, when he put, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know what the problem is with a living sacrifice? It keeps crawling off the altar. That's the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps moving. God wants us to lay it all down, sacrifice it to Him. Worship involves the way we live our lives. It is who he, we are before God, publicly and privately, internally, externally, spiritually and physically. We're going to sing a different song for the invitation. Jeff, I want you to come. We're going to do Revelation song for invitation. So if you'll come, get ready for that. God prompted me this morning to just sing this song again because of the words of this song. We need, to, huh, we need to look at our worship. How's it, how's it working for you this morning, old Dr. Phil would say? How's your worship working for you? Going through the motions? Is there an authentic connection between you and God? As you come before His throne, what are you worshiping? Whatever preoccupies the majority of your time is what you worship. And it's really just that simple. Jeff's getting ready. I want you to pray with me. Would you? Father, I, I just ask you this in this quietness of this moment. In the quietness of this moment, would you do a work in us?